Welcome to Getting Curious. I'm Jonathan Van Ness, and every week I sit down for a 40-minute conversation with a brilliant expert to learn all about something that makes me curious. On today's episode, I'm joined by writer and artist Lenicia Rouse, where I ask her, how can we find clarity through art? Welcome to Getting Curious. This is Jonathan Van Ness. I am just I don't even know how to find the words of how excited I am for this episode. Welcome to the show, Lenicia Rouse, who is a multidisciplinary visual artist based in Houston, Texas. And this isn't in my paragraph tree, but I'd be remiss if I didn't say it. Whose Instagram is on fire. It's so good. It's like one of my absolute favorite, 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 favorites to follow. Your portfolio includes a range of abstract painting, photography, teaching, writing, and speaking. Lenicia, welcome. Oh, JVN, Jonathan, thank you. It's so good to be here. So can I just say, this one day I was minding my own business on Instagram. And um, I realized that I had been like impulse buying purses for like the last two years. Because like I never really had like... mm, purse impulse buying money. And then, and then I did. And then I was like, Oh my God, but then you can only have so many purses. And then my husband and I started talking about art. And then I was like, Uh I am obsessed with art. I didn't know. It just didn't occur to me that I could afford it for so long. So like, it it takes you a while to figure, you know, figure stuff out. And then I think that that Zuckerberg or something, they were eavesdropping on my Instagram explore page, because then once I started talking about art, there you were. Like you were on my explore page and I smashed that follow button uh-huh. and I've never looked back. Um, I love your work so much and it's so beautiful. Um, wow. So how are you? <laughs> I'm good. And I thank you for sharing that because I have been curious about what drew you to art and um, and also how you found me. So that's cool to know. I'm doing really well. I um I love talking about the work that I do and especially with people who are curious about it and who have a love for art and who collectors like yourself who really invest in the lives of the artists that they have living on their walls, right? That they're living with. So thanks. So what, so picture it, what happened? Like, where were you? Were you driving? Were you walking? Were you in school? When did you realize that you wanted to like grow up to be an artist? Wow. You know, My mom and dad said that I came out of the womb dancing and singing to Motown and Michael Jackson. So (laughs) since birth, really, I (laughs) loved um, artistic expression. And music and dance was like my first love. Um, I was in theater, you know, growing up. And I really liked art class um, along with chorus. Uh, But I also had... Maybe this internal, it wasn't really ex, maybe external to pressure of being excellent at things. And mm-hmm. I was like the straight A student and trying to be the exceptional black girl in all the ways. And then in the seventh grade, Jonathan, I got my first C and it was in art class. Oh, and, <laughs> yes. And little me, little feisty me went up to the teacher and was like, hello, I think there was a mistake. You made a mistake. Uh, and he was like, uh, no. And, you know, I'm sure he said some things that were like really encouraging. And but all I heard was like, you don't have talent in this. You are not going to excel at this. And so I literally like put down the paintbrush and I loved drawing and painting. But if I couldn't do it well, then I felt like it was something I didn't need to put my time in. At that time, affirmation really mattered. And so 
it was then that I really put visual arts aside. And I always, you know, had a love for it. I was interested in it. I really liked a good painting and drawing. Um, but really, it was just like, I'm going to concentrate on basketball because I'm good at that, singing, and church. I was really good at church. And so I ended up in ministry for a while. And then fast forward to 2010, I had a depressive break. And I was just constantly burning out in ministry. And it was because I was wearing clothes that didn't quite fit. And I hit this really wall where I couldn't hide my deep sadness anymore. And I had to like tell somebody and I happened to live with my sister at the time. And she was just like, we got to get you help. And in the midst of getting help and doing my work, I met two phenomenal human beings from Houston who invited me to come to Houston to be loved on, to join what they called the Love Revolution at St. John's downtown and to manage, believe it or not, an art project with men and women who were living on the streets. It was a therapeutic art and economic empowerment program. And my first comment to Rudy was, you must be kidding. I am the girl that got a C in art class. <laughs> I don't draw. I don't paint. What are you talking about? And he was like, you know, that's not what we need from you. We need you to come and direct and you have all of the things that our people need. Um, so come bring yourself and the rest, you know, we can teach you and surround you with people um, who can support you. And so I came and the arts and faith community here in Houston is amazing. And they supported and helped me um, launch this vision that was Juanita Rasmus's vision. And for four years, I managed that project. But in managing the project, I, in the shelter, I would stick around and hang out in the art studio that we had. And the artists in the program began to teach me things, you know, and show me what they were doing. They're phenomenal artists living on our streets. And then I would invite artists in to do workshops. And sometimes I'd be back on my computer, you know, doing my thing, administrative thing. But then sometimes I would sit down and actually take the class with the students. And I'll never forget, there's an artist here in Houston named Robert Hodge. And he was teaching a class on collage. And Robert was an artist, one of the first artists that I encountered their work here in Houston. So I was, I was a big fan. And to hear him look at my work and he kind of, he saw me as an artist and he was speaking to like what I was doing and just really affirming and then kind of asking me some questions and telling me, you know, keep pushing, keep leaning in and open the door for conversation. And that was the moment when I began to say, hmm, maybe I am an artist. And I began to kind of like play all those tapes that we had been like truth. We had been speaking to the artist in the program, right? And I began to like play them myself and begin to speak truth to some of the negative tapes that were playing in my head saying, this is not for you. And so it was in 2011-ish, 2012, that I began um, to create visual arts, um, to make art with my hands. And uh, that's how it began. But I was still had a full-time job directing this project with a nonprofit organization. And I was definitely into it. And I don't know if you want me to keep going, uh, because there is a story of how it, I moved, transitioned from there to like now. Oh my God, I am obsessed with that story. Also, just like you fully had me like all the way crying. It's oh. so interesting how the universe will like just provide and make yes. and just kind of open doors when you ask for it. And one thing that you said in that story that I just thought was so moving is a lot of us, I think, and myself included, when I first started hitting my kind of my mental 
episodic breaking points with all sorts of different compulsivities in my life. I tried to keep it in and it was really like asking for help. That was the first thing. Um, It was actually really funny because the first time I went into treatment, they did this weird thing where they like made us all put on blindfolds and then put our hands on on the person's shoulders in front of you. And they took us to this like cornfield maze and like blindfolded. We're like, okay, get out of it. But the whole trick was, is that there was no way out. And you had to like raise your hand and say, I need help. Like that was the way out. And then like the whole like maze, it doesn't literally explode, but they'd say like this maze explodes in an hour. You have an hour to get out. Of the hundred people in that thing, I was the only one at the end who it didn't occur to them. I kept trying and trying. I was like, there's got to be a way out. So I would have been in the maze that exploded. And so I just, so just as to say that that's how much asking for help doesn't come naturally. And I do want to get to the story of hearing about how you transition from like a passion, like, oh, is this for me? And transitioning from a full-time job into, into that job full-time. I think that's a really important story that impacts so many people. However, I want to just ask you about your art first really quick because this is an audio medium. And what I'm looking at right now, and if anyone's listening to this after they saw our social media for this episode, then they would be seeing some of your work that you're sitting in front of. I am lucky enough to be... Um, I provide a home for two of your pieces and they are so beautiful and they're just have such movement and such texture and they just fill me with like, not to Marie Kondo, but I just get so much joy from, from your images. Even this one image that I have in um, New York is like, it's very dark and it's like, it's not as bright as the one that I have in Texas. And it's, but even that one, cause there's this, like lavender like streak in it that's very bright and to me what that piece represents is moving towards like a light in your end of your tunnel you're like you're moving towards light and um that has been such like a thematic thing like for me in my life and so I just would love to hear you describe to our listeners like what your art looks like what it kind of what it feels like what it looks like I'd love to hear you talk about that Sure. And I, I love hearing you say that um, light, like leaning into light um, is part of what you see in that image, because I think my art um, for sure is my whole creative process is one of leaning into light um, and and also enjoying the shadows. So to say that my work is heavily textured. It's known for its textures. It's layers. Like I'm constantly, like I'm building layers. My process is slow, <laughs> which is a little bit slower than the Instagram post. Um, and so I'm always, people are always like, when is there, where's the art? Where's the art? But I do, I take my time. I'm trying to reclaim time in ways. And so lots of layers, a piece could develop over like two, three years sometimes. Oh. Um, and sometimes a piece can come about in a day. Um, I love color. Color expresses like emotions and feelings for me. I'm an intuitive painter. And so I lean heavily into like how a color makes me feel, how, um, what a material, like what does it represent? I provide a lot of space in my work. And so you'll see a lot of like, um, passive negative space, but that mm. negative passive space is not always just like white or black. It could be um, like, I'm looking at a painting right now that is this like deep sap green, you know? You know, I'm new to this art world and I'm, I feel comfortable and safe with you. So I'm going to ask, sometimes when artists talk about negative space, I squint my eyes and I nod and I say, yes, that <laughs> negative space is, wow, it really... 
I don't know what it means. What is this negative space? I love it. When I think of like negative passive space, I think of a lot of like Japanese art or like um, Asian art that you see where there's like a lot of white right around it. And it's like breathing room. And then um, there's an image. Right. And so that space around the image is what we would call negative space, breathing room in the work for your eye to rest, you know. And it's like uh, so it's also a part of the piece. It's not just there because they couldn't put anything there. It was a choice. It's a choice. It is a choice. And so, like, if I'm talking about, like, art terms, is, like, is negative space and passive space interchangeable? For me, yes. I've heard different people use it. I I was always uncomfortable with negative space. And so um, I once read an artist that said passive space. And I was like, okay, I can kind of get with that. But, you know, neither one of them really does the job. The technical term is negative space. So, yeah. Oh, so, yes. We're going back to your technique. We're going back into your expression <laughs> of your art and what your art looks like. I did not mean to interrupt. I just had to ask because, no. good Lord. <laughs> no, 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 that's good. I'm glad you asked because sometimes we throw out these terms, like all of us in our fields, we throw out terms and if you're not a part of it, you don't know what it means. So thanks. Interrupt me anytime. Uh, but my work too, I, I do mixed media work. And so I'm always like, I will... Like now I'm using a lot of newspaper and paper and I use thread and um, I like to find things. And so I'll go on a walk and find like bricks and stones that um, connect to a moment in time or like my thoughts around vulnerability and what it means to be human. And I'll break that up and create my own pigments. And so my work really holds like all of the things that interest me, that speak to um, and help me make visible what's within me. Um, and so, like I said, I'm really drawn to poetry. And, you know, poets, I feel like they, like this economy of words, they're really intentional about the words that they use and there's nothing that's wasted. And I think I try to bring that artistry to my work as well. I, I want my work to be contemplative in nature and to mm. invite people to stillness and, you know, to pique their curiosity a bit. And I really feel like my work is best experienced in person because there are all these like subtle nuanced textures and even words that are there that you can't quite capture with the the camera um questions i bring to my workers like what does it mean to be alive what does it mean to create a work of art that is alive and and i just explore that or like perception i'm always curious about how we perceive things and bringing all those questions to the piece and now i'm even playing with like collaging vintage images of black life um that i find in like ebony magazines and um, vintage magazines i collect and working those images into these abstract spaces which is a, a new thing but i'm loving it Okay, I have questions about this. So I, y'all, if you're like not driving or like not operating heavy machinery, I do suggest going to, it's, isn't it? It's like Lar Art Studio. Mm-hmm. That's it. I have this like habit of calling people by their screen names, like exclusively in Instagram. It's like, I don't know what my problem is. Like my friend Wan Yi, like her Instagram handle is like Wan Yeezy. And we literally had to be friends for like two years before she told me like, she's like, you know, my name's just like Wan Yi, right? And I was like, Yes, um, but I do like, I just like get into like referring to people as their Instagram names. Yes. But so go follow Laura Art Studio. But where do you get, because when you say vintage magazines, like how vintage, how do you collect them? Like, where do you find them? And also you like sculpt paper somehow. 
Yes. Yes. Uh, okay. There's like 12 <laughs> questions in there. So just try to remember them as they came. Sure. First off, um, where do I sur- get my sources? Um, so I eBay, online. Um, some people like collectors have actually given me old magazines that they've come across. And when I say old, like I like I have magazines from like the 20s, the 30s, the 40s. I am trying to go back because I do. I feel like the now is so informed by our past and then even what we're envisioning for the future. And so I am I'm looking back to like talk about now and to imagine new worlds. And so Ebony Jet magazines are my favorite. Um, and every now and then I'll pick up like magazines from around Houston, the free magazines and work some of that in. But I'm constantly, my main images come from those vintage like Ebony magazines that celebrate and share about black life. And then my, my um, partner in all of life, Cleve, we like to read the Sunday New York Times together, which will lead me to my sculpting. I, and I don't like to waste things. And so I was like, I don't mm. necessarily want to recycle them. These, these papers hold so many stories that I'm just really interested in. And it's like our world is our history. And during quarantine, I just got the idea of like really adding the newspaper to my work. And I go, I, I like do this process dance of, um, with uncertainty. And so I'm working <sighs> with my hands. <laughs> these newspapers on top of the canvas and then I'm pulling away and adding on and just I guess you know Jonathan when I think about black life and some of the other work that I do it's like we're always creating like a life and creating beauty out of the lives that we're born into right and the things that happen and we're still and so I'm kind of leaning on that tradition in my work and there's a lot of improvisation um, but I am, I'm sculpting this newspaper and different materials, brick and stuff onto, onto the canvas with my hands. And, um, I like for my work to be very tactile. Um, the sculpting also creates a space for like shadow and light work to take place and gives it dimensionality and, um, which also points to aliveness, I think. So when you said that you pull away, like, does that mean like by adding paint or like, will you like take part of the page off or like, like, what does that mean? Oh, yeah. So many layers. So, so many newspaper layers, so many paint layers. I pull and um, I pull the paper off and what's underneath is revealed. Um, oh, yeah. That's <laughs> yeah. So Sometimes when I'm doing a big change on someone's hair, not so much now, but like in the beginning of my career, there would be a stage where I'd be like, fuck, like, did I go too short? Like, or like, I hope this fucking list the way I think it's going to, or like, like, or like the formulation, like, I hope that this deposits the way I think it's going to. And then there's like a moment in the creation where it's like frustration comes up, like concern comes up. Um, just like a, like a little bit of like a panic. So I was curious if that happens for you as an artist in your art, and then also just your eras and how this process has evolved for you. Okay, I'll do the latter first. Uh, yes, uh, I pulled a quote from Helen Frankenthaler where she talks about the creative process being a magnificent struggle. It is so that. Like when I read those words, I was like, uh, yeah, um, because there are moments in the birthing process of a piece or in that creation where you do have these like, oh shit moments. Like, I don't know if I'm going to be able to get to a place that I feel I want to go with the work. Um, and then it's all this problem solving, right? And leaning in and trusting, uh, as my 
a friend says like, trust your dopeness, you know, like trusting <laughs> the skills that I have, right? And trusting like my knowledge to get to a place. And then there's some pieces where it's like, oh gosh, I've just so majorly fucked up. I'm going to put it to the side. And a year from now, I'll get back to that, you know, maybe. Um, and so those are the moments when like I say, like it may take a two or three years for a piece to come about. It's because of those kind of moments where it's like, oh, and I don't want to force it, right? I don't want to mm-hmm. like make a piece come. I want it, like, I really, I'm wanting to mirror my life in some ways in my own journey, Jonathan. And I think it's so, for so long, I try to force myself to be something for approval, for acceptance, for belonging. And instead of just allowing myself to be and become, right? And to make mistakes and to be loved for who I am in spite of, because of like all of these things. And so I try to approach my canvases with that same kind of grace and um, and love. And so, yeah, but I do, I do have those moments, but it's also part of the, like the magnificent kind of struggle of it all is the problem solving aspect and like figuring out, you know, and um, art has taught me that if I just keep leaning in and keep pushing through, I'll get to the other side. Um but yeah, so my era is like, uh, um, it's so funny. I've been at it since 2014. And so to think that I've had these different stages, but if you look at my Instagram, I definitely have. Um, I am self-taught. And when I began, I gave myself permission to follow my curiosity. Um, and so there are times when I was like, I'm really curious about like oil and cold wax. I saw a painting in a gallery and, you know, there's something about it that spoke to me. I was interested in the texture. So it's like, okay, let me explore that for a while. And then I'll learn it. And maybe a year later, begin to build work around it and then share that with the community of my followers um, or people who are interested in my work. I had a quick question about the cold wax too, because I yeah. was reading that in your bio and I like, I wasn't, I was just like smiling and nodding when I like read about that. She's like, I didn't, what is it? Yeah, it's a medium, um, just like this waxy kind of medium that you can add to oil paints and it quickens the drying process because oils are so slow and drying. Um, And so it quickens that, quickens that process, thickens it up a little bit. And you're able, like you were saying how like I um, love like layering paints, you know, and so I'm able with the oil and cold wax together as a mixture, it's called a medium and mediums are just things that we add to, to different paints or to, like I use medium to like apply my paper. So adhesive and thicken and change the texture of the paints that we're using. So cold wax isn't like a, it's not like a pat, like a palette of colors. It's like no. you can put in any color. Yeah, yeah. Got it's a it. medium you can put in in any color, which is different than like encaustic wax that I was like really interested in for a while. And I did work with, and that is like wax that is a beeswax and resin mixture. And you can get that clear. You can get in all kinds of colors and you paint with hot wax. Oh. So cool. And like people who are masters at it, they'll work is phenomenal. Like just the yummy textures. You can build like layers and thickness, you know, because it's like once the wax like hardens, then you add more layers. And oh, so that was a fun stage too. I'm having two intrusive thought questions. I'm sure. sorry, I can't help Go it. Do. First of all, because I, I just can't sit on it anymore. Over your left shoulder, this, that, that, do you see this piece over your left shoulder? The, this piece right here? Yeah, up, that little baby one. Is that for sale? 
<laughs> yes. I'm freaking out. Must buy. Charge me triple. <laughs> like we're doing that when we got off the phone. It's like, I can't. I, I feel like you didn't send me her. I'm, wow, obsessed. Okay. Two. I'm sorry, I freaked out. And then like my two pictures that I have of yours so far. What era are those from? Do those have cold wax? Or are those just like acrylics? Like what are those made of? <laughs> yes. So they're 2020. Um, but I say 2020 with also... Um, they have a history before. And so mm. at the beginning of quarantine, I was like, I can't keep making art like I did before. There's some things I want to explore. And so I took old paintings, painted them black, and began anew <laughs> in this new space that I was inhabiting. Um, because of quarantine. And so the paintings you happen to buy are a part of that journey for me. And so one part was these real like emotive, instantaneous um, paintings with acrylics. Um, And so your pieces have a bunch of acrylic on it. And then even some yummy like um, cheese wax textures that I pulled oh. and brick, like the black one. There's some brick in there. There it is! <laughs> yes. <laughs> Which creates some of that cool texture. And that so, texture. Yeah, yeah. So back to eras. What was like the first era? Yeah. So I was always drawn to abstraction. And part of it's because of my story and my process of grief. Um, abstract art just spoke to me. And as the photographer in me, I loved collage. So when I first started, I did a lot of collage work, working with paper, always drawn to paper and um, encaustic wax. So I have a lot of pieces that are like straight up acrylic and then I add wax over it and paper. Like that was always, that was the beginning. And then in 2016, I did this, um, well, I moved from there to then to just doing straight up acrylic painting, right? Where I was just creating these large pieces, small works with acrylic, very texture was always a part of it. Um, and color, like lots of color and layers. Then in 2016, I began, I'm trying to get this right. Um, I did a hundred day collage project where I made a collage a day for a hundred days. And I did that because I was really just living totally in the abstraction. Um, Shit was happening in our world. (laughs) And I needed to be specific. Like I just needed to speak really specific and plainly about some of the things that I was feeling. Um, And so I began, I did this 100 day collage project um, that was exploring women and um, yeah, what it means to be a woman and just different expressions. And then after that, I continued in my painting abstraction. Um, and that's when I became curious about um, oil painting and cold wax. I hadn't painted with oils before. And so around that time, I began to study and um, studied for a while, about a year. And also during that time, I was making my own pigments as well. I'd gone to Santa Fe and just fallen in love with the earth <laughs> and was curious. Yeah, just really interested and had the desire to know about like you know, what, what happens if I add earth to my paintings and like how, oh, people make pigments out of like, that's what pigment paint is, right? It's pigment dirt mixed with these mediums that then create these paints that we use. And I did this whole period where I used fluid oil paints. I found these paints out of France. Um, 
that you can pour and it takes about 32 hours to dry. And I loved that. Like the process really slowed me down. I felt at that time in my life that like everything was like, there was this pressure to move fast, move fast. And those paintings like slowed me down and you could pour. And after 32 hours, the painting could be a disaster. And it wasn't as easy as my other paintings where I could just paint over and start again. Like if he messed up, it just... And so that process, though, taught me a lot. And I love the works that I created out of that. And I did a show of that in Houston. Um, And then from there, I moved to the oil and the cold wax. And then from there, I got back into my painting abstractions with acrylics. Um, I realized that um, oils and encaustic wax just require a different kind of health kind of setup in my studio space and ventilation that I didn't have. And so mm. I made a choice for my health um, and my breathing to, to, to kind of put those away for now um, and, and to concentrate on materials that I didn't feel were, feel were so risky um, to use. This one time when I was doing hair in St. Louis, flying back to California, I had like all this developer in my checked luggage. And then I was like sitting at my gate and then they were like, Jonathan Van Ness, please come back to security. And then I was like, oh my God. I was like, did I put weed in my bag or something? Like, did what happened to like, what is going on? So I went back to security and the guy was like, is there something caustic in your bag? My hand is burning. <laughs> and I was like, what's caustic mean? And he was like, it means it burns. And I was like, and then like, I just looked over his shoulder and there was this like open thing of um like 40 volume developer, which is like what you mix with bleach. And I was Ooh. like, oh honey, you just need to go wash your hands. Like you just put bleach, like the developer all over your hands. Like that's just for some bleach. And they're like, you can't fly with this. And I was like, oh, like I have oh. been every other weekend for years. I didn't know. I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yes, that was how I learned about what the word caustic meant. And I was like, maybe it means something different for art, but no. So I'm, I love that you did self-care and chose. That's good. It kind of reminds me of how I was with like keratin treatments. Like I had to choose my health eventually. Like, yes, it makes your hair smooth. And yes, I like how it looks, but like, my lungs and my throat and my <laughs> eye sockets. Yeah, they matter. And they do say they something. They matter. They matter. I think another thing that I want to ask, where I want, I want to ask is following your, your stories in the morning, you, your studio and like the music that you listen to and like the light and just like everything about it is so... I, I just, I hear authenticity. I hear like mm-hmm. wanting to really put like what your feeling and what you're processing like into your work. So you had said earlier that you were in ministry. Then you had that, the, what did, what was the exact term you used in 2010? Yeah. It's just a depression break. Yeah. It's just a depression break, which every person who I'm obsessed with, like always has to have one. Cause I think it's mm-hmm. like what, like it's like what gives you the, you know, you're not sheltered. Like you've been through it. Like you've seen stuff. And that's why I think, that's, I think, why I just love people that, like, that's mm-hmm. artists. That's, that's what humans, mm-hmm. and, and just the courage to be vulnerable and upfront about that, I really respect and I love. Um, and, but, I, I, and when you say in 2016, like, our country was going through stuff, like, yeah, and it, it has been for such a, a long, long time. time. So I'm curious about in your work and in your eras, and as you've, you know, grown, you're like more public facing, like there, mm-hmm. you've got people following you, like people know who you are. And so in terms of art and creation, are there things that 
like as long as we have these people's ears that you want as a black artist in the United mm-hmm. States, like what, is there anything that you want people to know about? Like, I mean, just a simple way of saying it. Yes. My whole, like I bring to the canvas, my history, all of who I am. Um, my, my body holds my story. Right. And so as I'm releasing and making visible what's within me, of course, I'm going to um, talk about like um, grief and my journey through grief and um, I like light and shadow, like the things, vulnerability is a concept that works because for so long I was afraid to be vulnerable. Um, I felt that I had to protect myself, protect my family um, and not be honest and show up to the world fully, you know? And that's one of the reasons I love you because I feel like you show up fully and then it gives people the permission to do the same. And so in my, my work and my, I, I'm drawn to artists, I'm drawn to people who do that in their work and create that kind of space. And so I want to create that kind of space with my work um, of helping people like see the beauty of being human. Yes, racism is real. It was real before 2016 and um, has always been a part. Like my, my, my dad's work was in race and he would say race and reconciliation work. He was the first cross-racial appointment in South Carolina and Methodism in the early 80s. And so that, I say that because that kind of set the foundation for like uh, a life for my sister and I, where we were constantly like confronting um, white supremacy, um, as we were dwelling in predominantly white spaces and having to really figure out, like, many ways heal our own imaginations and, um, how we see ourselves, mm. how we see other people and how we see, th- how we desire to see this world, um, that we inhabit and to participate in creating that world. And that didn't come without a lot of scars. Um, but also a lot of glimpses of beauty and like, glimpses of hope and possibility for us as humans. And so when I come to my art table, I bring all of that, the truth as well as like um, this world and kind of like a, my friend is Sean Crawley, who's an artist and a scholar. He has this concept called otherwise possibility. And um, I love his work in that area. And I think about like otherwise perceptions, you know, like how can my work help to, heal our imaginations in the ways that we see each other. Um, we see this world that we inhabit and, um, and we feel about it. And I, and I wanted my work to do that, not only on the canvas, but even like um, the organizations that I align with and that I partner with. It's all about um, healing, I guess, in many ways, the world. And James Baldwin, who's one of my favorite writers, <laughs> He has this essay that I read often called The Creative Process. And he he says like the role of the artist is really to kind of like for us to do our own kind of internal work, right? And to like lighten these dark places that are within us so that then we can like shine it back into the world. And then in that, make this world a more human dwelling place, right? And like all of us in our spheres of influence can do that kind of work, that kind of creative work. And so, um, yeah, I... I partner with organizations. I come to my studio and I do that kind of work because it's important the way we see, you know, and um, I'm always like, I always have a camera with me and I forget that. that I don't think photography is like an era for me. Um, it's just a part of who I am. And so I'm always, I just walk through the world kind of looking and it and expecting to encounter moments that will make me pause moments of like unexpected, like, beauty and truth and 
I think people, humans are so beautiful. And so I photographed that. And I think the cities and just the natural kind of weathering of the spaces that we're in are just beautiful. And so I captured that. And my phone has over 90,000 photos on it uh, because like everywhere. You got that go- like 84 gig, like <laughs> yeah. the really big one. It's a mess. It's always telling me I'm having to delete apps because I have huh? all these photographs. But I do, and I return to them to remind me in moments like where I glimpse even like moments of humans, right? Like the most, unex- like how this world would say, like my my husband Cleve and his best friend Matt, right? Like this white man, they ha- they are brothers, right? They, and they, they have it out. They talk about these stuff. They're honest and real with each other, you know? And Cleve would be like, you know, like Matt, no, that's a white boy shit. Like, don't say that. That's a problem. <laughs> That is a problem. Check yourself, check your perception. And like they, it's real and it's a brotherhood. And so there are moments when I see them like genuinely like laughing together, belly laugh or like crying. And I photograph those moments kind of on the still um, because it gives me a glimpse of what's possible, right? When we are really honest about things like white supremacy and gender inequalities and economic inequality, like economics and race. We have these real conversations with people who we we trust and are willing to like be in relationship with and just do that hard work, the glimpses of what's possible um, when, and how we can truly share our lives together. And so I don't know. I, I said a lot. <laughs> I'm not sure if I answered no, your question. Yeah, no, that, no, you didn't. But, I have another question. So how, so you still like, you're a person of faith, you still, like, yes. Mm-hmm. Right? So, how do you feel? Because I feel, um, to be honest, like, I don't know where I feel. Like, I grew up in church. I grew up, like, going to Christian sports camps every year. Like, I definitely accepted Jesus into my heart, like, very early, like, at, like, 10 and 11, and, like, was very, like, in that vernacular. Like, I was very much, like, I know how to get into like a Christian vernacular. I know how to get into like a Christian aligned. Like I know how lots of different churches talk. Like I know how to like blend in in that space. I think the one thing that is really hard for me to come to terms with is how the ways that religion has sought to like oppress and divide and marginalize. Um, and that's been like really hard for me to kind of come to terms with. And I think even now when I see people like Marjorie Taylor Greene and like that Lauren Boebert who use their, and people like Donald Trump who, you know, have people like Paula White, like lay hands on him and speak in tongues and use their faith to actually like bastardize the word of the, like lots of different religious words, but also this um, consistent conflation of like, this is also like really off, like this isn't into art, but I'm just, having had the chance to talk to you and volume, I'm just curious to hear about what you think about this. Yeah. Um, I don't, if I'm honest, I'm not sure if I have reconciled that yet. Um, I am in many ways still on um, a process of kind of like deconstructing and reconstructing a, of like a faith identity that I can, that I feel like I can speak about and um, live into fully, you know, I, on a personal note, like, yeah, I, my dad's a pastor. I grew up in the church in South Carolina. There has been a lot of unlearning that I've had to do 
um, just because of the nature of like where I was born and the kind of, you know, faith that was being taught and, you know, an experience um, in the life. And so I've done a lot of unlearning and reclaiming of things and um, spending some time with theologians and people and communities that I feel like I'm in alignment with. And then not really knowing what to do with the groups of like people with who say they're the same, like we have the same identity um, faith-wise that don't seem to be in line with the God that I've come to know um, and, and to love. And so, yeah, I, it's so interesting. I'm, I feel like I can talk about um, spirituality and God and art and how that works personally in my life and how I experience it. I think I'm still in this place of trying to find the language of um, talking about the rest. Um, I'm, I'm mm. still doing some work, you know, listening to how people of faith, like Christian faith in particular, um, have used their faith and this belief in the God of Jesus Christ in ways that have been like weaponized and and it's caused so much pain and harm. And it's just not reflective of the God that I've come to know is um, deeply disturbing. I've been angry a lot. I mean, like I start my mornings, you mentioned my mornings with um, a lot of quiet and stillness. There's only two people that I'll talk to in the first three hours usually. And that's Cleve, my husband and my sister, Sienna, um, because I need to enter into the day in a space of like clarity of thought, um, peace of heart and peace of mind. And, and, and it came because of the past, really the past four years of waking up to the news cycle, waking up to all of these voices that are just speaking like, like it broke my heart. <laughs> um, and I, I would cry a lot and just get so fucking angry. I'm just like, no, you are wrong. That is not loving. Um, that is dehumanizing. And that doesn't mean that I haven't had to learn a lot of shit, right? Like I've had to have a lot of friends to be patient with me offer me loving grace. I, there are some people I probably need to write up and like, I do know I want to apologize for because I was like this really annoying little Christian girl um, growing up in the South, you know, and like my life experiences have just broken me open and transformed and healed my imagination, my way of seeing and being and understanding God and understanding this world that I live in and understanding the beauty of every human that I encounter, you know, and that's a daily work. Sometimes it's a minute by minute work of checking these like perceptions that I have. One of my professors in div school, Dr. Willie Jennings, he does a lot of work around like the Christian imagination, Jonathan. And in one of my classes, he said, um, he talked about how we're storied people, like all of us in this world. Like we're just like, don't even think about faith um, categories, but like we're born into these stories that are not of our own choosing, right? So there are these these scripts that were written for us, like, like you said, at like the beginning of like racism was created, race was created way before like I came into this world and I was born into this. And that as we, as we live, as we evolve, right? Like we, some of us have more tools than others to kind of navigate and reclaim a new story. Um, 
we began to, we get to make decisions about like what things are going to continue to narrate our lives, are going to continue to shape the way we see ourselves, we see other people, we see this world that we inhabit. And so I do, I just, I feel like we're all storied. And, um, and I'm trying to choose every day, like a story that's one of life and that makes more space for me to be fully myself and make space for other people to be fully themselves. And then I think the line comes when you start doing harm to other people, though. I'm going to check that. You know, I'm going to be like, no, that's problematic. <laughs> that's problematic. Mm. That's detriment- detrimental to the well-being of somebody else. And it has to stop, you know, mm. and I, with confidence, will speak out to those things when I see them. Um I like questions. I will ask questions. But then there's sometimes when I'll just say like, no, that is wrong. You know, like that is wrong. It is harmful. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> you know, in a very graceful way. But like, shut, shut up. In your more Lenicia way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, in my more Lenicia way. But no, that is my Lenicia way. For so long, I felt like there were certain things I couldn't say, you know, but I do. I feel, um, I do. I just feel like we all... When you know, you got to share that, you know, and you can't sit back and allow people to do harm um, if you know, if you see, if you see it being done. I um, guess I mean, when I say you're Lenicia way, it's like with the um, the radiant glow that you deliver, <laughs> shut the fuck up with. That is, um, <laughs> that is like it is extra special. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. But yeah, no, the church has a lot of work to do. Um, a lot of um, forgiveness to ask for maybe if that's even the right word um and then there's just certain people that i'm just like mm, i'm not with you you know and yeah. um, to be honest with you i don't even say that i'm a christian anymore um i i follow the god of jesus christ i like jesus <laughs> that's where i am i like jesus and then uh. and, and the more that i get to fall in love with jesus the more it opens me up to see the beauty and um some of the things Muhammad says in Buddha, you know, like when um, I experienced the loss of our child um, in 2013, um, Buddhist practices became, they kind of helped me get the language to, to deal with my sorrow um, and to be present and honor my pain in ways that my Christian faith just didn't. Um, mm. You know, like I was met with a lot of just kind of like trite, um, almost like, yeah, trite responses and just language that just, just didn't resonate with me. And so um, I began to explore other expressions um, under other understandings. And um, for me, I feel like the more I fall in love with like Jesus, it's kind of this weird thing, the more expansive um, my pool of like, religious kind of like spiritual teachings and religious um, practices become, if that makes sense. I, yes, yes, it does. I read all about Siddhartha and Buddha in like my 20s and I was like, it is. It's like, yes, I, yes, you are hitting the nail on the head for me. So you had said earlier that like, you know, you had your depression episode 2010, you asked for help, you end up moving to Houston, you take over this art collective, which kind of reminds me of how, like, 
I've been doing hair. I love doing hair. I still love doing hair. But then when I started doing Game of Thrones, I was like, oh, like writing comedy, producing comedy, like writing and creating on camera is this like other artistic medium that I didn't know was for me. I didn't really think I similarly in like sixth grade, I tried out for like a community theater rendition of um, <laughs> the Wizard and the Wizard of Oz. And I but I thought I really was meant to be like the cowardly lion. And then after I like called the community theater like 65 times an hour for three days to ask if I was the cowardly lion and that I really didn't want to be in the course. I obviously didn't get cast in that production. <laughs> and so similarly, I thought that like now. theater and yeah, now you're lost in community theater. Um, but that also made me think that that wasn't for me and that like entertainment, acting, writing, like I didn't think that it was like that I was really welcomed into. And so and so similarly like doing hair full-time, I really wanted to transition to doing entertainment full-time, but that was like a fraught transition. It was scary. And when you m- mentioned that, you know, like how you went from managing this full-time job that was in the art world to becoming a full-time artist, honey, you were like going through depression. You were going through mental health. You were going through like the loss of a child, which I also didn't know until you just shared that. And thank you for that vulnerability. But how did you find the le- the faith and the leap mm-hmm. of courage to... To make that transition, I am. I would love to hear about that story, which we briefly talked about earlier. But please, how did that happen? Yeah. So in 2013, I met my now husband partner, Cleve, and we fell in love here in Houston. And um, as love does sometimes, we created a life. And um, her name is AJ, Anne Jordline, and. I found it in August that I was pregnant and there was um, definitely a lot of like, that's where my faith journey to, like I began to face certain things and unlearn and just do some really hard work. I found I was pregnant the next day. I called my therapist and was like, yo, we've got to talk, you know? And so I began to do some really deep soul tending um, reimagining work for myself. And cause I wanted to be a, a mom that where she was born into a story of a mom that was like, um, I don't think we we're ever fully like together. I'm always becoming, but a mom that would had a bit more courage than I had a mom that wasn't just surviving life, but really trying to figure out like, how do I thrive? Um, I wanted a daughter who like born into a story of a mom who was like an artist because she'd always wanted to be and knew like that's who she was and wasn't afraid to live into that. And so I started doing that kind of work to prepare um, to be that mom. And then December 4th, I went into labor. <laughs> um, I had this term that the medical field called incompetent cervix. And that just means my cervix needed, it's an awful name, uh, but basically it means that my cervix just needed support um, in order to carry AJ full term. And I didn't know, and the doctors didn't know. And so went into labor and, poof. Yeah, it rocked me. She was born. And if she had been within me, maybe like a week or two more, her lungs would have been more developed. Um, but her lungs were just, it couldn't, it was too painful to even, it would have been painful for her. So anyway, all that's to say, um, we decided to have, let her live as long as she could and took the wisdom and advice of our doctors and Cleve and I just made the decision to like enjoy her for the time that we had. And so she lived over two hours 
and died resting upon my chest. And mother had changed me. That moment just broke me. Um, it shattered me. And I remember that night I was in the room alone with AJ. The hospital was so compassionate just to allow her body to be there. And I began wailing out to the universe, um, yelling out to God, I guess. And I was like, yo, I, this is hell. And it was like, kind of like, if you're familiar with the poetry of the Psalms um, in the um, Old Testament, like, it was one of those moments where I was like saying all kinds of things, probably not in such a glowy kind of way. Like I was just angry. I was hurt. I was in hell. And I remember, I said a lot, but I do remember me saying, I need you to show up. I need love to show up. And I needed it to show up in real tangible ways. Not this thoughts and prayers and these trite comments that we like to say to rush people through grief, but I'm going to go ahead and journey through this. Because I am still here and this child that we had dreams for and hoped for is not. And that feels so shitty. <laughs> and if I'm still here, I need to continue honoring um, her. And I have life. And I don't know, it was just something about that moment that made me realize, like, I have life for, until that moment, Jonathan, like, I had... There were nights where I would literally go to sleep saying, hey, you know, universe, if I don't wake up in the morning, I won't be mad at you. You know, like, I'm not going to take my life, but I'm okay if, like, my heart just kind of stops. And for the first time with Cleve and AJ in my life, I was beginning to, like, say, like, go to sleep, really anxious saying, I hope I wake up <laughs> tomorrow morning. Like, I want to see Cleve's face. I want to be AJ's mom. And so... In the hospital room, I just made a choice that like, okay, I'm still here. I got to journey through this and I got to go through it slowly. And I'm going to have to reimagine what it looks like for me to live. In this new, people in the grief process, you've probably heard a lot of times, like new normal, right? Everything, sometimes something shifts is like a new normal. Um, so that was another new normal for me. And um, I had to figure out like, how am I going to not continue just surviving, but eventually I just really want to thrive. And so during my healing process, I was doing watercolors a lot. I couldn't sleep. And it was really weird because I watercolors was just like something that it was like a class we offered at the project, but it wasn't like my go-to camera was my go-to, but I'd find myself like not able to sleep and couldn't stop crying. And then I would just like, play with watercolors. And it was so cathartic. Like, I don't, I don't know if there was something about the colors, the, the colors in this mist of like my deep despair that was soothing for me. Um, this repetitive motion, I've done some look at science now and they say that um, our brains, like when we get into these zones and we can get into them, like when I'm running, sometimes I get into like the zone where like every, my mind is so still, you know, and there's like this clarity of thought. Um, and that's what happened for me. Like you can get into the creative process as well. And, um, and I would get into this space where like my mind was still, I had clarity of thought and I could just really be with myself. 
and I could sustain could, could, could sustain the pain, right? Like it was just so intense, but there was these moments of like, it's almost like medicine, <laughs> you know, that kind of helped me continue to lean in and go through um, and find, I couldn't find the words, um, but I could, I could paint, I could release how I was feeling, you know? Um, and so I got that piece of paper in the meantime during all this, and I started just writing down like, what does it look like for me to live with this pain, right? Because I know this pain is of her absence is going to be with me forever. So how am I going to live? And I was like, I want to get a, I want to make art. I want to get a studio downtown. I want to like sell art. And I, I want to be an artist. Like I'm an artist. Like I want to finally live into that. And my sister had written a poem called Do the Crazy Thing. And um, I had a copy of it. And I was like, yo, that's my crazy thing. Like my crazy thing is going to be, uh, my bold, ambitious thing is going to be saying goodbye to ministry, this thing that I've been doing. And people have thought of like this identity I'd been living in for so long. And I'm going to lean hard into that identity of the, little girl dancing on the Pizza Hut tables, right? He was an artist from birth and I'm going to be an artist. And so I told Cleve and he was like, that's great, make it happen. Because he knew the only way that I could really go through it is if I did it on my own, you know, with the support of others. And he was very supportive. So I um, eventually got the studio downtown. Um, a friend and I got a studio together and began making art and I was doing the work that I was doing. And eventually um, I realized I wanted to be at the art studio more than I wanted to be at the art project and that it was time for me to say goodbye and really just lean in. And so I, you know, during this time I was making the business plan, I was selling, getting my toes wet, you know, and seeing like, is this something I can do? I was studying um, and, you know, Nine months later, and that was not intentional. Um, and I didn't realize it was nine months until I was doing some newspaper interview and the writer reporter was like, whoa, that was nine months. But nine months later from her birth and death, I literally resigned from ministry and became a full-time artist. And I haven't looked back. <laughs> um, I have, I still partner with religious organizations if it aligns and it feels like I can do it honestly. Um, but I, I'm not a minister anymore. And it's taken a couple of years for people who have known me to kind of grasp that. Um, I don't see my work as ministry. Like I am an artist who makes work and I, I do have a story. I do have a faith. I do have things that I'm working out and loves and passions and all of that works into um, what I do. But I'm, I'm an artist and I'm living it, you know? Um, I am, I'm always studying and making and prolific at it and wanting to to share my work, share the things that um, ground me and inspire me and bring me delight with the world with hopes that um, it might do that for someone else. Um, yeah. And I, I guess kind of going back, I feel, I realized too, um, when I was, when we lost AJ, that there's something really powerful when we are honest um, and we show up fully into spaces because it does allow people to do the same. I remember a woman who was in her seventies wrote me and shared that she had also um, lost a child in the same way that I did. And it was the first time she was telling anybody outside of her family about that loss 
and how it impacted her. It was like, you've been carrying that for like 40 years, you know? And what, and it was just, one, it was like an honor that she would trust me to enter into that space with her. But it's like, whoa, it was a reminder to me like, oh yeah, there is something really powerful about us sharing our stories, you know, and just being real about the things that give us joy, yes, but also the things that hurt and um, leave the scars, right? And then even sharing the process of the healing of those scars. So yeah, anyway, that's that. So I'm here today because of um, motherhood and um, and I keep doing the work and, you know, it's so funny. Um, whenever I have a big moment in my art career, I, I thank her. I'm like, AJ, look. <laughs> look at this, <laughs> you know, like, look at, look at how your life, your existence. Yeah. Like we share this together. Like she's still, I feel like she's still here and lives every time I mention her name, she's still living and, um, and she lives through my arts and creation in some way. Wow. That was in <clears throat> Like 204 episodes, I have like never been more present and like Mm -hmm. more blown away ever. Like Mm -hmm. literally ever. Wow. Um, I had a few more questions. Okay. And I'm... Wow. Lanicia, you are... What an incredible being you are. Um, Okay. Okay, it did just come back to me. It did just come back to me. I don't know if it'll... But I'm just going... So one thing that you had said is that you were self-taught. But then another thing that that I've heard you say repeatedly is like, you're always studying. Like, you're... And I mean, I follow you. You're... I mean, you are a... a, Like, eternal student of art because you're always like... inner. you're just... You're always exploring your art. And so I think... Like one thing in my experience of like doing hair is that like I spent like the first several years of my career like unlearning what I'd learned in hair school. And because really it's like it's the color wheel when it comes to hair color. Like you got to know how to like neutralize, cancel or enhance, you know, what these colors are lifting up to or what you're depositing onto. But other than that, it's like I mean, you learn how to use like barbicide and like how to like kill viruses and like bacteria and stuff in hair school. But then like when you're actually out in the world, like, yes, you have to do that, but you also have to know like how to deal with people and like how to manage your time. And um, like really, and and there are certain states where like you don't even have to go to hair school, like you can just apprentice someone. And so to me, like apprenticing someone would be like, you're not self-taught, but that would be more along the lines of like self-taughtness versus like going to hair school. And one is not better than the other. They're just very different. Um, But like people that were apprentices, like in my opinion, probably do better hair a lot faster because you're not learning like silly ways of doing things that you're never actually going to do in the real world. Um, So I'm curious about like, is there like a, because also... I got to interview Adrian, who also my Explore page and Mark Zuckerberg like put in my Explore page when I started thinking about art. And it's so, like, I love both of you so much. Yeah. But like, she also talked about being self-taught. Like, is there like a down the nose, 
like existence in the art world of like people who are self-taught versus like when is is there even a university to like learn how to paint? <laughs> yes. And I do think there is this like a networking that happens when you're in school um, that is beneficial for your career. Um, there are it provides a space for you to really give thought to like what am I saying in my work? Um, you have people like feedback and folks that you're learning from and you're exposed to things um, as you're like concentrating on this discipline for um, three to four years. So, yeah, and I think there there's a history of um, like gallery spaces, museum, residencies, um, really wanting to honor or like privilege people who have done that work um, over folks who haven't. But I think there's some shifting happening in that. Um, I think, uh, which is a good thing. Um, I, I do encourage people like my studio and my the past years have been like an art school for me like I have been concentrating and discovering like what do I want to say in my work and yada 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 and um you know I read I'm just always a student I just love learning <laughs> I do and so um, I just I brought that into my practice as well and encountering other people's work and learning from others and um, other people's stories and history and part of like going to the gallery for me was this great thing of like I find artists that I was really interested in knowing, wanting to know more about their work. And so then I researched their name and like, who are these people? And I think that's the best kind of art when you encounter a piece that like moves you and evokes something. And then you become curious about the maker, you know? And it's like, oh, I want to know more. I want to know more. So I did that. And I would find like, like Frida Carlo. I don't think she had an MFA. I really don't think she did. You know, like, and she's makes brilliant art like come at me if you try to tell me that Frida is not amazing you know like I would encounter all like these artists who all took different paths and they kind of got to the same place you know or to a place maybe not the same place because that's not the aspiration for everybody to be in a museum and I don't think it has to be but they get to a place and that place is good for them you know and so I realized like oh it's possible to get into like when I envision the places, the place I want to go with my work and what I want to do, like I can, I can get there. You know, I, I don't, I no longer, at first when I entered in, I was really intimidated by the fact that like I, other people had the degree and had spent this time and had the credentials and I didn't. And, you know, and I think that's just a product of, um, the culture that we live in that esteems certain things over others, you know? And so I've had to like, once again, kind of check my perception and my cleave has been very helpful in that. of <laughs> saying like, no, just do the work, put your nose down, do the work, keep growing, keep showing and do you, right? And so that's where, what I do. And I encourage people to do that. You know, if you, if school is for you and you have the money and you're not going to go broke trying to do it, yeah, go. Because like art making is like, you're not gonna, it's like a small percentage of people who are able to really fully live off of the art that they're making. You know, most of us have to have multiple streams of income. And I'm fortunate that my multiple streams all still have to do with my creative practice. But, you know, like I have some artists that I love that are like working in coffee shops, you know, and just doing what they need to do in order to make their work. And so. 
Yeah. If you, if you have the money, you can go to school, you get the scholarship and it's not going to break you. Yeah. Why not? I think it's cool. If you have the privilege and opportunity to just spend time on the thing that you love, like if medicine is your thing, you know, whatever your thing is, if you have, you're fortunate to do that, do it. Um, but if not, there's also other ways that you can continue to like, to nurture your craft and your understanding and discover and explore your passion. And so I say, do that. Yeah. So you actually kind of answered the same question I want to, or the question I was going to ask, but I want to expand on it in a little bit, which is, so if you're, if you are an aspiring artist and you do have the privilege, you do have the money, the resources to like, go to a, like a formal, like four year, like school fierce. However, if if that's not your truth and you are an aspiring artist and you are like serving Lenicia realness and that like you, when you wake up, honey, like sister act two, and all you can do is think <laughs> about singing, then you're a singer girl. If you wake up in the morning, all you can think about is painting, then you're an artist. So you don't have to go to one of those like really expensive, formally trained schools that you can, like, there's probably like, isn't there like local classes, like communally that people yes. can get into or maybe even like assisting or apprenticing like an artist that you like and even just offering services maybe that way. Like, so there's, there's like, to pull a Buddha quote, like there's several ways to ascend like the mountain of artistry. Yes, yes, yes. And um, I think it just requires self-discipline and dedication, like just to do the work, right? And um Museums now are great. Um, and there's some schools that are offering like online with something that happened with quarantine is like people have gotten on to like, oh, we can do teach online and offer opportunities and make it more accessible to folks. And, you know, and there's artists that also offer workshops online now. Um, if once we kind of things open up again and it's safe, like people will be help check your local listings, look at the artists that you really like dig and find really cool and you love their work and see if they are teaching. Um, see if you can apprentice with them, you know, like go and spend time in their studio. Um, so I just encourage people to, it's a, I know, I know the show is called like getting curious and I keep saying curiosity, but like I've been using this word for, oh, I love, like, I just think we're not curious enough about, mm. um, things and especially about each other. And so, um, follow your curiosity and like foster that, you know, um, and lean in and you'll discover like new questions, new answers that just lead to more questions and just keep, keep going. And then eventually, like you said, like there's a point where you just kind of have to say it, like, I gotta, I gotta pause for a while and just do the work, you know? And so I do have periods if I'm working on a large body of work where I won't be studying, you know, it's like, okay, I've done the prep work. I just need to come and be with myself, be with my work and be honest in that. You know, I think sometimes when people are starting off and looking at my own story, like there are artists that I loved. And so I would learn by like, engaging their process. So like I would look at their work, check out the history and learn about their process. And then like, oh, let me try. And then eventually I can't like, I don't, we don't need another Sam Gilliam in the world. We don't need another Alma Thomas. Like, I got to be me. I got to be myself. And so I then kind of take the techniques of what I've learned and then apply them to be as honest as I can be in my work, you know? And so, yeah. I typically don't do like a lightning round round, but I'm obsessed with you. I do have a lightning round round that I've been amassing. Okay. Okay. Lightning round. Like you're like, fuck this interview. Like goes forever. Lightning round. I know. Favorite artists. 
Ed Clark, Sam Gilliam, Helen Frankenthaler, Al- Alma Thomas, Robert Hodge, Mark Bradford. I have a lot. I can't go on. That feels good. I feel like it's great unless you think of anyone else later that you're like, oh my gosh, I will like not be living my best life if I don't include them. But that's amazing. Second question. <laughs> Top three unexplored mediums that you want to play with that you haven't played with yet? Sculpture, which gets to clay. Like I want to work with clay. Um, I want to do more installations. I've only done one, but I would love to like explore that. And I want to do a mural. I wanted to do a mural on a wall. <laughs> I do. Yes. Okay. Favorite eras of art in general. Abstract expressionism. Yes. Biggest misconception about art or artists. That we are just in our studios, just painting the day away, flu flu. I mean, like, I'm branding, I'm marketing, I'm writing emails, I'm doing newsletters, I'm selling my work. You know what I'm saying? And I'm making the work. Like, you have to do the work. So. Yeah. Fuck yes. Okay, that was like the best <laughs> lightning round of ever. Like, I, there was only four questions. I sorry, I like overpromised, but that was amazing. I, was with you. I can't get enough. Okay, and then the last question is: um, Do you ever do yoga? No. There's not, that was not a shameful question, honey. You don't well. need to, basically. <laughs> But basically, like, in yoga classes, like, um, at the studio that I used to go to, they would do this thing where, like, if it was, like, it's called, like, yogini or, like, yogi recess, where, like, you really wanted to do some certain pose or you wanted to practice your handstands, but we didn't really get to that in class today. And you're like, oh, I'm just going to, like, feel some kind of way if I don't get my, like, headstand or my handstand on. Is there anything that you would just be, like, remiss uh, that I didn't ask or something you want to share about your art or your story or creating... um, that we didn't get to? No, I don't think so. And I, I didn't do that as shame. It's just like yoga is so good for the body. And I, I have to do like basketball. Like I need fast, like fake pace things. And so. Lanicia, I wonder I if know. this is what, I wonder if this is what the universe brought us together for, for this question so that you could get some benefit out yes. of this conversation too. Yes. So, Yoga is kind of like, there is one for everyone. There is like a gajillion types. So what I hear you saying is, is that you would maybe need something that's like more power, more like involved, more a little bit. So you're like a vinyasa flow person. You, Um, I think, would really like like a core power yoga. That's just like one like chain that has like, there's music, there's, um, yeah, there's some people, like there's also a type of yoga that like, I, I call it power yoga, but other studios will call it like hip hop yoga where it's like the oh. music is next level. It will be like, like my playlists when I teach yoga or like, it'll go from like Desiree, you gotta be to like, um, to like some like musical theater moment to like candy shop because mm-hmm. it makes me feel really nasty. And like, I want to pop my, you know, dirty bits on the person's mat. Yeah. Next to me. Yeah. Um, Cause sometimes that's what you need, you know? So it is like, so there is like, there are powerful, like very like in great, like, like intense yogas. If you ever want to like, once things are safer and you can like do things, I encourage yes. you to explore. Cause I do think there is one for everyone, especially for creative folks. Like yoga is super mm. creative. Cause it's like, you know, like you could link this pose to that pose and like how you transition like with your body is really fun. So I think you might like it if, if you find, but like really slow or chanty or like, yeah. like Bikram. I got really into Bikram for a year, but like to this day, if I do it, like, cause it's the same series, same 26 poses, every class, wow. every time. 
And those are yeah. always 90 minutes. Like for me, like, like an hour and 15, I'm good. Like, I don't need to be in there for an hour and a half. Like, um, <laughs> right, right. So even that, so this isn't an episode about yoga, but I feel really, um, you, I think you might be like, usually someone's got something to say, which makes me feel like we did a really good interview. <laughs> No, thank you. Yeah. And thanks for the yoga tip because I do like my art making is about being like being in my body. It's really physical. Like that's an important part of it. And I've, I have been like attracted to yoga and kind of like what, but I just feel like it. So that's helpful, Jonathan. It will help me continue to be in my body and breathe like the breathing practices of yoga. I'm just so like admired and in the inhale and exhale. So anyway, thank you. You maybe just be doing yoga accidentally though, like painting. So you may not even mm. need a queen. It may just what? be that you like are already living your yoga practice, like in your life and stuff. Maybe, but I do want to try that. Unless <laughs> you're like all up on top of it and like your shoulders are pronating forward because you're like writing and like <laughs> right. creating and stuff. And it might be that yoga would actually like just help to like get your shoulders together so that you can keep making art for like 15 gajillion years. Yes, yes. Um, I love you so much. You've been listening to Getting Curious with me, Jonathan Van Ness. My guest this week was artist and writer, Lenicia Rouse. You'll find links to her work in the episode description of whatever you're listening to the show on. Our theme music is Freak by Quinn. Thanks so much to her for letting us use it. If you enjoyed our show, introduce a friend, honey, and show them how to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at CuriousWithJVN. Our socials are run and curated by Emily Bosick. Our editor is Andrew Carson, and our transcriptionist is Alita Vunja. Getting Curious is produced by me, Erica Ghetto, and Emily Bosick.